Well, here we are, our sixth and final part of looking at Romans 8. And in case you've been listening all along, I'll be brief, but I'll bring you up to speed. Why are we doing six parts of Romans 8? Well, I believe this chapter is the absolute summit of the book of Romans. It's where everything really comes to a head. And I think it might be the greatest of all the chapters in all of Paul's epistles. And here's why. In it, in a slightly all over the place arrangement, are the most beautiful explanations of all that we get in relationship with Jesus. I've talked about, and this is the sixth one, let's talk about what they are. First of all, the baseline, that there's no condemnation and no separation because of who Jesus is. Number two, we were broken, and so he became flesh, the incarnation. Number three, the cross and resurrection. Number four, his Holy Spirit being given to us. Number five, we just did this last time, the life of union. What does it mean to walk in oneness with the alive Savior? And today, what is the call? What are we meant to be doing? So I've called it the asystemic systematic theology. Well, we've tried to bring a little bit more sort of linear thought to it all. Well, enough of me blabbing. Let's get into this final week in Romans 8, our call. So let's imagine you are in the downtown of your city. It's a beautiful day. The central square there is is busy, it's bustling. Everywhere you look, people and activity. Those swelling sounds of voices and laughter, at times shouting in annoyance. It's a typical sort of downtown day. And it's a beautiful day. The sun is high over the hills and the air feels fresh. You are taking a deep breath of the good, clean air. And you are crossing across that central square when, wait, what's that crowd doing over there? They're all huddling together, leaning forward, clearly listening or or watching something that is happening toward the center of that mass of people. You walk over to the edge and you stand on your tiptoes to see what it is. It's a man talking to this crowd. And he's discussing the relationship between mankind and God. And he keeps referencing over and over a man who he says is God. He calls this God-man Jesus from Nazareth. You have never heard of a place called Nazareth or frankly, a man named Jesus. But the way This man is talking, especially this strange glowing quality of his eyes makes you stand like the rest of this whole crowd in a curious, quiet, respectful sort of listening. All of you are equally interested in his words until he stops. His words trail off and now he's looking at something directly beneath him. He is quietly talking to someone right there. And then his voice suddenly booms aloud. Stand straight up on your feet. And then he's reaching down and yanking a man to his feet who, oh my goodness, it's a beggar who you happen to know. I mean, you've passed this beggar nearly every day of your life and you know perfectly well that he has never walked a day in his life. And now the stranger, the speaker has raised him up. I mean, oh, what a terrible thing to do to somebody who can't walk unless the man has been healed. Which 
he uh, apparently has. You and this crowd are now watching him walk around. He takes a few cautious steps, never having done this activity before. And then he starts to jog and to run and to leap. And now the crowd is starting to scatter almost as if with a sense of fear or at least of overwhelmed amazement. And that's when the day takes off in a strange direction. Really, a couple of strange directions. Some are going to get the high priests of the temple of Jupiter. They cry aloud, These are gods themselves! Come down among us! While others are now listening to a wandering band of Jewish travelers from both Antioch and Iconium, and they say, That man, Paul, deserves to be killed! So on the very same day, in that same central part of your downtown that's as familiar to you as the back of your hand, you are watching the following two things occur. People try to worship this Paul and his friend Barnabas, and then later, they stone Paul, seemingly to death, and throw his body outside the city gates. This is the combination of events that you watch on a seemingly normal day of your life, But here's the wildest thing you ever saw. Hours later, in the same central part of your same downtown, here comes Paul again, battered, bloody, bones broken, almost as if raised from the dead, and yet still speaking of that Jesus from Nazareth. Imagine seeing all of that with your own eyes. Well, I think... What you would have been seeing is two men, two normal, average human beings who have come to Lystra with a new state of being. They have crossed a heavenly threshold. They've had done with the fall. They have met the man who brought God to men and men to God. There is spiritual freedom by virtue of a death shining in their eyes. There is a lightness of being with no fear of death in their countenance. These are people possessed of a different spirit, inhabited by a life that rises above all life. And they have come to Lystra with an eternal calling. That is what you would have seen had you been there. And again, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Romans 8, part 6, our heavenly call And so, in fact, I want you to listen. This is verses 22 to 25, 19 to 21, and 35 to 37. Here is that very Paul. It is plain to anyone with eyes to see that at the present time, all created life groans in a sort of universal travail. And it is plain, too, that we who have a foretaste of the Spirit are in a state of painful tension, while we wait for that redemption of our bodies, which will mean that at last we have realized our full sonship in him. We were saved by this hope. But in our moments of impatience, let us remember that hope always means waiting for something that we do not yet possess. But if we hope for something we cannot see, then we must settle down to wait for it in patience. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The world of creation cannot as yet see reality, 
Not because it chooses to be blind, but because in God's purpose, it has been so limited. Yet, it has been given hope. And the hope is that in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble, pain, or persecution? Can lack of clothes and food, danger to life and limb, the threat of force of arms? Indeed, some of us know the truth of that ancient text. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. Well, friends, before we dive back into all that and and really actually deal with the wonderful things Paul is calling us to here, I want to make sure you and I, that all of us, that we're all on the same page. I mean, that we understand the overall call of Jesus, that none of this has been lost on us up to now. The call of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry right to the moment of his, his ascension is this. Are you ready? That the world in him would be conquered by the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. That the world in him would be conquered by the kingdom of heaven. That is what we've been called to. Nothing more because there is nothing more and certainly nothing less. You and I have been called by him and armed only with his love to overturn the world and then to turn it all over to him, to his way. And by the way, we are not radicals who typically believe in earthly means of perfectibility. We are not revolutionaries who only support a rotation from one earthly system to another. And we are not even reformers who just sort of tinker among the ruins trying to change things on earth. Friends, we are none of those things. You and I, do you know what we are? We are sons and daughters of God, following our brother, the son of God, to conquer the world with the way of his kingdom, his love. So that is the call. If you just had to push stop right now, now that's fine because that is the call. And now again, let's go back into Romans 8. Let's, let's actually look at how we're going to do it. Let's begin at the beginning there of 22. It is plain to anyone with eyes to see that at the present time, all created life groans in a sort of universal travail. So I would say our call, part one, we must have eyes, loving eyes for this world around us. We must never be the people who judge, who write others off, who say of this world things like, well, it's going to hell in a handbasket. Because hear me when I say this, the degree to which the present world is broken is the degree to which we haven't yet been doing the call of Jesus. We, the body of Christ, are his plan. We must have loving eyes on this whole world around us. 
Let's continue. And it is plain too that we who have a foretaste of the Spirit are in a state of painful tension. While we wait for that redemption of our bodies, which will mean that at last we have realized our full sonship in Him. So, part two, we must realize that we ourselves, you and I, like individuals with our own thoughts, opinions, even versions of Christianity, we are not the answer. Just like the world, we ourselves are in a state of painful tension. We're in the process of coming into something. So while the world around us lives in that painful tension of its universal travail, as Paul calls it, we too have our own painful tension, which should make us empathetic to the plight of the world and really doubly hungry to come to grips with our only hope, Jesus himself. We are day to day learning to step into our sonship. And by the way, here's what it meant and what it means for us to be stepping into that sonship. Let's keep reading. We were saved by this hope. But in our moments of impatience, let us remember that hope always means waiting for something that we do not yet possess. But if we hope for something we cannot see, then we must settle down to wait for it in patience. Part three of our call. We must be totally enamored with the story of our hope. We must never stop with our gratitude for the finished, historical, once-for-all-time work of Jesus at the cross and the tomb, but we must not stop there. We have to go forward every day a little further into taking hold of the meaning of the ascension and of Pentecost. Our patience that Paul talks about is after the Lord's direct revelation of himself, but everything that he freely offers, we must be relentless to possess. Because I want you to see what that possession means for that broken world that's going on around us. Listen, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Part four, friends, we must come into our own. We have been given the full run of a kingdom, its power, its glory, its joy, its heavenly earthly inheritance, and we've been told, all I have is yours. So is it any wonder that oftentimes completely ignoring the splendors of all that it is, we have struggled to conquer the world with it? Or actually, let me put that positively. What if the whole world is just waiting, just holding its breath to see you and I possessing all that's already ours? What if the whole world is just at the edge of believing and all we have to show them is that it's true in our daily life? In fact, because, listen on, the world of creation cannot as yet see reality not because it chooses to be blind, but because in God's purpose it has been so limited, yet it has been given hope. And the hope is that in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay and have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. Part five, we, those children of God, must bear witness to the hope of heavenly rescue. 
we together, the body of Christ, reincarnate, must show and tell the realities of the kingdom. But let's be honest, that's where we hit some snags, don't we? Because sometimes, and let's be honest here, I mean, let's be really truthful about our struggles. Sometimes we struggle to believe it's true for us. We don't believe there's hope. Uh, We forget about our own rescue. I mean, we've had rare encounters with, quote, magnificent liberty, but it's been a while. And, you know, we got to raise these families, uh, have careers, pay the bills, get in a vacation now. I mean, it's a lot. But friends, again, we are at war here. With love, we are trying to conquer the world. Friends, this has to be so true in our own daily experience that not only does it satisfy our own souls, it draws in the souls of others. If they are wondering if the way of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, is robust enough to defeat all darkness, they must be able to point to us. We are the witnesses. We are the living testimony. So to use an old-fashioned Old Testament expression, shall we gird our loins? Let's finish up. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? And I would add here, no. Can trouble, pain, or persecution? No. Can lack of clothes and food, danger to life and limb, the threat of force of arms? No. Indeed, some of us know the truth of that ancient text. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No. In all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. So, to finish the sixth part of Romans 8, and actually to give the sixth and final part of our call, knowing that he has already done it all, that this can only end in victory, friends, we must never stop believing. And what must we persist in believing? Well, everything we've been talking about all these weeks. So maybe you're taking a walk right now. Maybe you're driving in your car. Maybe you're sneaking a podcast at work. I'm going to ask you to really get responsive here, to actually look back over these six parts of Romans 8. And let's respond even vocally if you can. Friends, is there any condemnation hanging over your head? No, then believe that. Can anything separate you from the love of Christ? No, then believe that. Can you do this human life on your own without him? No, then stop trying. Did he come to end the curse of brokenness between God and man? Yes, then you're free. Believe that. Did his death set you free from sin? Yes, then you're free from sin. Believe that. Did he rise to set you free from death? Yes, then life and death, neither of them are, no longer, are any longer scary. I mean, believe that. Did he already give you some of his own inner life, his Holy Spirit to live within you permanently? Yes, then believe that. 
Does he want to live your life inside you along with you? Yes. Then believe that. Live that. Do we believe he has an actual sovereign plan for how he's using our lives? Oh, yes. Then friends, let's believe that and live it. Let's have loving eyes for this world. Let's get out of the way of what he's doing. Let's be enamored with our hope in him. Let's come into our own. Let's bear witness to how wondrously good he is. And let's, you and I, never stop believing. You and I, we are called to something. You and I have been called, and this is so good, we've been called by Jesus himself. Let's go follow the call today with our actual daily lives and let's enjoy the fellowship we have with him. Friends, thanks for listening. 